0: The song we sing, Grace, Grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin, or grace, as we affirm, that will pardon our sin. That that's a, a great mantra to lead us into to our message this morning that leads us in to this um, continuation, and really kind of we're in the home stretch of, of this series. We believe, as we've looked for these last um, four weeks at statements of faith uh, in the Apostles' Creed, we'll do so today. Next week, as I mentioned, will be the Easter Cantata. But then on Easter Sunday, we will finish this series with Resurrection and Life, which is what we'd expect on Easter Sunday. Uh, But today, we talk about this affirmation of faith that says we believe um, in the forgiveness of sins. And there's a lot of ways that we could paraphrase that. Grace and our belief in God's grace is one of those ways. Let me read from Romans chapter 5. There are so many scriptures that could have been lifted up for this message this morning. But I want to start with these five verses from Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 6. This is what we read this morning it says you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners Christ died for us since we have been justified by his blood how much more then shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, merciful God, forgiving God, speak to us through your word. Speak to us through these words. And that is the Holy Spirit whispers or shouts that we would have ears to hear. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. It is, at least it was somewhat interesting to me that on a a week that we will talk in these moments about forgiveness of sins, as as that becomes the focus of, of our statement this morning of faith, we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that I actually picked a scripture that doesn't use the word forgiveness at all. In these five verses, and I didn't do that intentionally, I didn't do that thinking, let's kind of throw a curve here, but as I was reflecting on it this week, I was like, the, the Scripture I chose doesn't actually speak of forgiveness. It's there, but it doesn't say that directly. It talks about reconciliation. That's the word that Paul uses of what Christ has done and what God's grace has done. It has reconciled us. And, and if, if, if we use that word and, and we kind of focus on that word for a moment, if I say to you, my wife and I have reconciled, well, the implication is that there was some, some brokenness there, that there was something that had happened. If, even if I don't tell you the story, you know that if, if somebody talks about any kind of a relationship that has been reconciled, we know that at some point there was separation, there was brokenness, there was some distance that was, was created. And that was the, what was kind of reverberating through my mind as I, as I sat last night. I was sitting in the office at home, and, and I was just... Sometimes I'll focus on words. And I was, I was focusing on this word reconciliation and what that implies to us and, and how to kind of wrap my mind around it. And as I'm sitting there in the office, our dog Dakota, our, our, our family member, I don't say family pet, but she's part of the family. Dakota, big German shepherd, she comes and she sits, she wedges herself under the desk so that as I'm sitting at the computer, she's basically facing me under, underneath, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the place where your, your legs go. You understand what I'm talking about? And, and what would happen is, every time I would, Let me grab a chair, I didn't plan to make this a visual, but, but I can't <laughs> explain it. Every time I, would, I was sitting there, and as I'm contemplating, and I'm getting deeper in thought, and I'm waiting for the inspiration to come, I would lean forward and I'd put my hands down. And that silly dog, every time my hands would go down, her nose would come up. And she would be getting into my lap because she wanted, she sees hands and she thinks hands were created for one purpose, to pet me. So she, she kept doing that. And, and I'm, I'm thinking and I'm praying and I'm meditating and I'm waiting to be brilliant. And she's... <laughs> Thank you. He said, so are we. <laughs> you can leave. If you all don't know, my father's in the front row, okay? That's where that's, where that's coming from. Um, now I'm all f- flustered. So, so I'm sitting there, and, and, and Dakota keeps putting her, her, her nose in my lap, and... And I'm just getting, I'm getting irritated. And, and so I kept grabbing her. I'm not, I'm not hurting her. We have um, laminate flooring, so she slides very well. <laughs> and I'd grab her by the collar and I'd slide her out, and she'd come right back in. And so finally, I had enough. I said, Dakota, out. And so I got up, and I kicked her out of the office, and I shut the door. I can hear the... Yeah. the and I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm looking at this word reconciliation and I'm thinking about what it, it, weird things connect to me but I'm thinking what I've just done with, with my, my dog with, and, and I've oh. realized that I have created a wall that, that's how I I broke the relationship in that moment I didn't want to be bothered by her and so I put her out and, and I closed the door that that created a wall. That created a separation. That created a distance that that couldn't that she couldn't overcome. So I'm looking at reconciliation, and I'm recognizing in a in, in not a, a significant necessarily way, or, or not necessarily in, a, in, in at the same magnitude. But but what I've done is I've created brokenness, and and I repented, and I felt bad, and I opened the door and let her back in, and just dealt with her nose in my lap. But, but the image stuck with me of, of the way that relationships get walls built. The way that, that brokenness happens in any relationship before reconciliation happens. Something happens to create a need for it. And, and we, we can use a lot of images for that. But in our relationships, human relationships, if you've ever been in a relationship that's been reconciled, and I can't imagine any of us haven't, um, in some way or another, you know that, that, that preceding that reconciliation, there was a barrier, there was a distance, there was a wall that was built. And that has to be overcome for a relationship to be restored. What, what Paul talks about, that in Christ, our relationship with God gets restored. The implication there is that there's something that has to be overcome first. That a, that a wall has to be knocked down. That something that is keeping us from God has to be overcome. And that, for us, is sin. Sin is that barrier, that wall, that that fortress that has separated us from God because a perfect God cannot be contaminated by an imperfect creation. And we're an imperfect creation. And Paul says that, that in Jesus, that barrier is knocked down. That that sin is, is overcome. And so we say a lot, as we do in every line of the creed, when we make this profession, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. But the first thing I think we have to recognize is we've got we've to kind of skip over for just a moment the forgiveness part and affirm that first aspect, the first reality, is we have to recognize we believe in sin, We believe in sin. Now, that's not a popular thing to talk about because we live in a a society that more and more is becoming more permissive, is is becoming more entrenched in a, in a, a, a philosophy of if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't harm anybody, there's no harm in it. And that you and I get to determine our own parameters for right and wrong. But... But we don't affirm that as followers of Christ. That's not the way that Jesus called us to. We affirm quite the the contrary, that that God has called us um, and created us in His image. And that we're called to obedience and faithfulness. And when we are unfaithful, when we let Things come between our relationship with God, whatever they may be. That is sin, and we have to name that. Now, we don't have time to go into all the specifics of of what that looks like in our lives. not that we could ever begin to exhaust that. Sins of what we knowingly do, sins of what we sometimes unknowingly do, sins of of omission, sins of because of what we don't do. I mean, there's all kinds of nuances to what, what sin means and what that looks like, but but at its core, it's brokenness. It's that thing that that keeps us from, from God. And we have to acknowledge that we're guilty of it. We believe in sin. In fact, not only do we believe in it, we know that it's a reality in our lives. And the the, the danger is that what... The world often hears, and what we sometimes inadvertently communicate is what we're saying is, you are sinners. That the church is looking outward and saying, look at all these people that sin out there. How terrible. But Jesus reminds us, we're not not judging others. We, We need to look at ourselves. Paul says that for all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3. All has, who's not included in that? No one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory John writes in his letter, 1 John, he says that if anyone claims that sin is not, that they, they do not sin or sin's not within them, that they're a liar. The truth isn't in them. Isaiah the prophet says, for like sheep we have gone astray. Even Jesus, remember when, when Jesus is there and they bring the woman caught in adultery to him and they're wanting to trap him and, and they're wanting to, to, to catch him in something that they can use against him and they've caught her and it's a setup and we know it's a setup. They don't bring the guy with her, but they bring her. And they say she's, she's been caught in adultery and the law says that we have to stone her. And Jesus writes in the ground, in the sand, and he says, essentially, okay, You can stone her. Whichever one of you hadn't sinned, throw first. He's not giving them an invitation. He knows that there are none there that have not sinned, that haven't fallen short. He's not excusing her behavior either. Remember at the end of that story, which we conveniently very often don't hear, when he says to her, no one condemns you, neither do I condemn you, he gives her instructions, go and sin no more. So he calls her to a new way of life. But he recognizes and he communicates in that encounter to all of us that we recognize we've all sinned and fallen short. And we have to start there. We have to. uh, The the very first step in a a 12-step program, those of you that have been a part of that or even know, know is you have to acknowledge there's a problem. There's an addiction. There's there's something that's got a grip of your life that you're not capable on your own to overcome. And for us, it's sin. We're, We're caught in that. And and we have to acknowledge that it there there I was reading somewhere uh, church signs, and there was one of those church signs that somebody was driving by that said, um, "If you're done with sin, come on in." Yeah. If you're done with sin, come on in. Somebody had taken red lipstick, and they'd written underneath. But if you're not through, call two seven two zero five hundred. The reality is that, that even though we desire to be through and we, we strive for perfection, that, that we're still caught up in, in that reality of, of sin. It's still a uh, a characteristic of our life. We, we know that. I, I've encountered, as you've encountered in the course of your life, I'm sure, um, people who are have very peculiar behavior um, in cities or on the public streets. Street preachers sometimes that like to, to heap condemnation on everybody who walks by. And, and there was a, a, one such person that would stand out at the corner, and, and as everybody would go by, he would just randomly point at people and he'd say, you are guilty. You are guilty. And they would uh, over and over, they would just kind of turn away and they just walk past, and, and mostly because we kind of don't generally, as a rule, see any value in engaging that. But but I thought about that statement. If somebody were to come up to you, or if somebody were to come up to me and said, "You are guilty," I'm curious. I want you to think for a moment. If I walked up to you and said, "You are guilty," think for a moment what your first response would be, what the first thing you would say is. Exactly. Of what? That's what you'd say, because that's what I'd say. You're guilty of what? And I was thinking about that. There's an implication there. See, because when somebody says we're guilty, what are we saying? When we say of what, what we're acknowledging is, well, we know we're guilty of something. We hope you don't know what I'm guilty of. (laughs) That's what that means. And so when they say, you're guilty, and you say of what? And they say, you stole from your brother, and you go, I didn't steal from him. You got it wrong. And what you're saying is, I am guilty, but you don't know what I'm guilty of. You're wrong on this point. The, the, the point is we know we are. We know we are on different levels in different ways. But, but we recognize that, that it is a, a reality. Uh, it, it, it's a truth. We, we're guilty it's on different levels. I, simple little things. I was reading. It's amazing when you're studying for a sermon on sin and you Google stories about sin, what kind of stories come up. Oh. But I was reading a, a harmless one, but it was interesting to me because sin comes in so many different ways. And, and there was a study done. They, they observed people in parking lots. There's a lot of sin that happens in parking lots. <laughs> um, and they were noticing, they were timing people how long it took people when they got in their car to get out of their parking spot. You know, how long it took them to get in the car, reverse, and be, be gone. And the average that they were finding in this study was 26 seconds. Then they started to time people who were getting in their car, but who had somebody waiting for their spot. You know how it gets, uh, think of Ellington Outlet Mall at Christmas time, or any mall, you know, where people, you're driving around, just waiting for the spot. We've all been there, you see the spot, you're waiting for the person to get out so you can get in. So they wanted to see how long it would take, on average, when somebody knew that somebody was waiting on them. Now our thought would be, 26 seconds in the average, that people would speed up. Oh, no, no, no. The average when somebody was waiting was 31 seconds. People slowed down when they knew somebody was waiting. Now, if they honked, the average was 43 seconds. <laughs> that I get. You honk, I'm going slow. My point is, we, we tend to get caught into this stuff. Is, is that a, a huge sin? <laughs> no, but, but it speaks to a human condition that tends to be very self-centered, that sends a focus on us. So, so we begin powerfully in, a, in an important way with this statement, we believe in sin. But that would be in and of itself pretty depressing, but that's not what we say in its entirety. We say we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.8 while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We believe in a God that, in his Son Jesus, has knocked down that wall. Because sin separates, it divides, it breaks relationship. And the one who has been sinned against, the one who has created us in his image, the one whose laws and, and desire for our lives that we violate. Regularly, has said, I will take that burden. I will pay that price. I will restore that relationship. Though, as Isaiah would say, your sins have made you red like scarlet, you are washed as white as snow. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was, I was reading some of the, the familiar kind of words of, of challenge that are found in 1 in, in, uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Um, where Paul says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty judging thing to put on people. And of course, if you read that real faithfully, you can probably find your sin in there. Because it talks about greed, it doesn't, it's not just the big stuff. See, we love to hit the big stuff we're not guilty of, but spend a little time there and then come in there and tell me you don't find yourself somewhere in the, in the judgment. But see, we, 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 we stop there because he goes on to say, and this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul says, is, yeah, this is the reality of who many of you were. And I'd go on to say, I think all of us. But you've been washed. You've been made clean. We believe not just in sin, the reality of sin. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And what does the Word of God teach us is the requirement to receive forgiveness. Because it's offered. It doesn't mean it's received. I can give you a gift all day long, but if you don't open it, you haven't received it. And, and God does not force that upon us. But remember, I said that John wrote in 1 John that if we say we are without sin, the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. But if you go on in that verse, it says, but if we are faithful, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin." Why do we name sin? Because we need to confess that. It's something in the Protestant church we've gotten away from. We we think of that more as a Catholic practice. And I'm not saying you need to come to me and confess it. But we need to own that and confess it before God because in our confession, in our acknowledgement of our need, in our acknowledgement of our brokenness, we receive the gift of God's forgiveness. Just like I said, that's why naming sin is so important. Because we know, you know in life, I know in life, I've sat with so many people in the throes of their own addictions and their own struggles and their own burdens, but if they don't own it, if they can't name it, God can't begin to work in their life to, to heal and restore and fix. Scripture says that if we confess, whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. It's the gift of forgiveness and grace when we are willing to, to be faithful, to to recognize our need for it. There's not ever been a person whose story I've listened to and I have had the opportunity in ministry to hear a lot of people share with me some of their, their deepest secrets, some of their deepest brokenness, some of their deepest regrets. And I've had people sit with me who believe That their sins are so great, their transgressions so horrendous against God or others that they are unworthy of forgiveness. And here's what I tell them, and here's what I know. I've never looked into the face of another person who God doesn't desire to forgive. And I've never looked into the mirror and seen the face of one who God doesn't desire to forgive. I will acknowledge my need if you will acknowledge your need he's faithful and just to forgive us do not let your past and your sins and your shortcomings be your defining reality because God says I have a more powerful defining reality and it's grace and it's Jesus and it's the blood that washes us white as snow If we are faithful and just to confess our sins, if we are faithful to confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins. That's what it means when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins. It is God's great gift. I pray you've received it because there's nothing more than a heavenly Father desires than the full restoration of the relationship with His sons and daughters. And we are His sons and daughters covered by his grace let us pray gracious loving and merciful God who who doesn't gloss over sin sin costs it's incredibly costly but we recognize Lord that you've paid the price and in Jesus we are brought into full restoration and healing thank you and may we receive that gift joyfully, thankfully, and prayerfully. In your name we ask these things. Amen.